Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. Part of the South Dakota Soybean Checkoff mission is to bring the farmer's story to those removed from agriculture. A decade ago, a handful of farmers at the core of South Dakota Soybean created an organization aimed at reasoned conversations between farmers and people who aren't farmers. It was the birth of Hungry for Truth, an outreach making the essential connection between food, the people who produce it, and everyone who enjoys healthy eating. Hungry for Truth was started a number of years ago. It was a joint effort that came out of some strategic planning back in 2013. And at that time, we did some surveys with our farmers and our staff and our directors. And we we came up with some different ideas of what to do to help the soybean industry. And uh, Hungry for Truth came about as one of those projects. And it's basically a initiative that brings farmers and consumers together. We just talk about issues on our farm and the questions that consumers have, and we just have open and honest conversations. This is John Horder, and I uh, farm up in the Andover, Bristol, South Dakota area, which is in the northeast part of South Dakota. I am currently a director on the South Dakota Soybean Research and Promotion Council. I just got elected to that position here back in July, and I have previously been on the South Dakota Soybean Association for numerous years. What's your specific connection to the initiative? I was actually uh, lucky enough or fortunate enough to be one of the founding committee members. There was a number of us that were involved. It started from scratch. You know, we just had this idea that our stakeholders, and we wanted to have some sort of a program that was educational to consumers and as Paul Casper would say, take our farmer hats off and think about it from all sides of the story. And we do different events that we're all a part of. So there's a lot of different aspects of Hungry for Truth that I've been involved in. You mentioned Paul Casper. Was he involved in the formation of Hungry for Truth as well? Yeah, um, actually, Paul Casper, Mark Reiner, Jerry Schmitz, Monica McCraney and Dave Ricks. We had a great committee that kind of got the ball rolling and where we are today, it's pretty astonishing to see where it's come right here in 2023 now. It sounds like there were a lot of reasons behind the formation of this, but talk about the history of Hungry for Truth. Why and how was it begun? As directors of the South Dakota Soybean Association and also the checkoff, our job as directors is to be the voice of farmers and to uh, do what they want done. And part of that with our strategic planning back in 2013 was very vague. It was like they wanted something to connect with consumers. And as a bunch of farmers and people just sitting around a table, it's like, well, how do we do that? How do we connect with people? And we wanted to be very transparent. There's no right or wrong way to farm, you know, whether you're organic or you're conventional or, or whatever way you farm, there's no wrong way of doing it. And we just wanted to convey that. And we wanted to tell our story of, of why we do it. And whether we're at an event or a social media post of someone that has a question or someone that disagrees with us, we're not here to 
force any issues upon them. We just want to tell our story and start that conversation. And by being open and honest, that's the whole background of what we wanted to accomplish. And that's because that was a a request of our stakeholders, just kind of evolving the program over the years to meet those needs. You mentioned a goal of Hungry for Truth. Let's expand more on those goals. What are the goals for Hungry for Truth? It's basically having those open and honest conversations. We've had a, an event called Farm to Fork, and that's been a real popular event over the years. And basically, every summer we host a dinner on somebody's farm, and we invite people from the city or legislators in, people that typically don't have a lot of farm experience, and we, we invite them to some individual's farm, and we have a very nice meal we bring in speakers that talk about current events, and then it's a, a bunch of nice tables sitting out in somebody's farmyard, and it's having a conversation around the table with food that we've raised. Uh, you know, we try to focus on having a meal that a pork producer created or a dairy farm, and we talk about how the food that's on their tables, how it came from our farm and what it took to produce it and the reasons we do what we do. So the food that we raise and the products we raise are, are safe and opening a conversation with people who buy our food and they see what we're doing going up and down the road and they're wondering like, well, why do they do that? Or isn't that harmful? Or is that good or bad? Or we're just here to talk about what we do and why we do it. You mentioned the Farm to Fork event that Hungry for Truth does. So how does Hungry for Truth work, John? How are those goals for Hungry for Truth accomplished? So there's still a committee in place today. It's comprised of different members, of course, than what were in the beginning. But those goals are are talked about, what they want to accomplish, and we go over what contractors are going to do, what projects. We go back to the original goals and, and the new goals that have been created, and the budget always comes into play. So just all the time we're, we're meeting to talk about that and to see what's working and what's not and uh, go over the conversations that we've had and the projects that we've done. It's an ongoing it's work in progress. It's always changing to meet the needs and to see what's working and what's not. It's good to have the opportunity to sit down and talk with one of the founders of Hungry for Truth. But I want to take a deeper dive into what's important about this initiative. Why should South Dakota soybean growers have such an initiative as Hungry for Truth? All soybean farmers, they want to do what's best for their operation. And they also want to do what's best for the environment and, and also for their end users. So tying that all together is very important because if, if people don't trust what a farmer does on their farm, then there's just you know, a lot of bad feelings. So that was the whole goal is to bring that all together and to have people be able to ask questions. And it may not be the answer that they like, but we just tell what we do and why we do it. You know, as a farmer, I'm not going to do anything that's going to intentionally harm the environment or do something that's not good for the well-being of agriculture. And people that are a little bit removed from agriculture, they see us out spraying in a field or spreading fertilizer or some people do tillage and they're like, well, why in the world are they doing something like that when they just, they kind of have a preconceived notion in their head of what could be a bad thing, but, you know, we want to just tell why we do it and the reasons behind it and why we believe it's in the best interest and just to have those conversations. So tying that all together and then having a consumer walk away and, and feel better about where their food is coming from and, and what the farmers are doing around them and the environment, it just all ties together. And we just feel that's the a real important part of having that conversation and, and having those relationships.
Another benefit of being able to sit down and talk with a founder of Hungry for Truth is to talk about results. How would you say you're moving the needle on these goals? It's just been a real eye-opening experience, you know, from almost 10 years ago when we when we started these ideas of not having really any idea what we wanted to accomplish. And then today to be having a really high-functioning social media site and uh, websites and talking to all the people that we've talked to over the last 10 years and, you know, the conversations I've had with people and, you know, the numerous other people as well. It's just really... Uh, eye-opening to see that this initiative has made a difference and nationally we've gained recognition other organizations have seen this it's just gained huge popularity and people are asking us well how can we be a part of this and it's just been a real real huge success and a great thing for everybody in in soybean world john i've read about the hungry for truth ambassador program what is that Yeah, that is something that has kind of evolved in the last four to five years. What we do there is we bring kind of an influencer type of person that's not really directly involved in agriculture. I mean, it could be maybe a cook from a restaurant or I had a young lady named Logan that's a, a wedding planner and an event planner that came to my farm. So it's people that are in the area, but they're probably not directly related to agriculture. We bring them out to our farm for a day and they follow us along and they're able to ask questions and ride with us in the tractor or go with us and check cows or whatever. So it's been a huge success. That person comes out, we talk, they see what we do. And then we just ask of them to write up some sort of a kind of a report of the experiences they had for the day and to post them to social media. And that way other people can also see what that person did and their thoughts and their emotions of what they did on the farm that day. And it's just been a huge success to have those people come out and and just understand what we do. And I think it really opens their eyes and then they can share with other people that relate to them. It's just been a huge success to do that ambassador program. And you've hosted an ambassador? Yeah, I believe it was the spring of 2022. I had a young lady named Logan Welch from Sioux Falls come out to my farm We had a great time. She's an event planner, wedding planner, and I have no idea what they do. And I mean, for me, it was a great opportunity too, because I could find out what she did for a living, what her interests were, what concerns she had. And we had a great conversation and we still follow up to this day. And it's another example of a a friendship that never would have existed had we not done the program. Yeah, it's been great. We had lots of pictures, lots of laughs. So it it was a great learning experience for the both of us. What's the number one thing that you'd like the public to take away from the information generated by Hungry for Truth? Hungry for Truth is just, like I've said before, it's an opportunity to have an open and honest conversation with people. A lot of people have these preconceived notions, and we're not going to change everybody's mind, but at least we're telling our story and telling what we do and why we do it. We have families too. And I mean, that's a big part of it is we're taking care of our families and just to have the opportunity and not just have those preconceived notions of what we're doing. That's the whole goal is just to have that opportunity and to share our story. Other than that, John, what kind of information comes out of Hungry for Truth? On our Facebook and our Instagram and and all of those different social media sites we have, plus our website, To me, it's kind of funny because when we first started doing this planning, we had a lot of our contractors mentioning doing recipes. 
and posting those on our website. And as a group of primarily farmers, everybody's like, why would we want to talk about a bunch of recipes on a farming page? Well, as Paul Casper again would say, is we've got to take our farming hat off. He's like, we've got to step back, boys and girls, and, and think about this. And that's our audiences. It's people that enjoy food and cooking. And you share a recipe with them of something that comes from our farm, like a pork chop or something we're closely related to the pork industry. And to share a, a recipe about that and to get people to see it, that's just an opportunity for us to start a conversation. So we're, we're available and people can see what we're doing and ask those questions. So tell me about your farm, John. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a fifth generation farmer. I live between Bristol and Andover, South Dakota, which is up in the northeast corner. And I actually live about two miles from where my family homesteaded, and I still have the opportunity to rent the land that my family homesteaded. Here we raise corn and soybeans, and we do some small grain, and we also have a cattle operation here. And then on the side, my wife and I, we own and operate a farm and ranch supply store. So uh, we've got lots of things going on around here. It sounds like it. Being so many generations on that land, and I can tell that you're proud to have been able to farm it. There's a lot at stake here when we talk about Hungry for Truth. How do you feel about what is at stake and being that fifth generation on the farm? Yeah, as the fifth generation, I mean, it's very important to me. They don't make any more land. They don't make any more natural resources. So I guess I feel it's our job to protect them and utilize them to the best of our ability. So I have a son and a daughter, and they could potentially be the sixth generation. I want to leave my farm in better condition than I found it. Some people might not agree with what I do and the decisions I make, but I guess I feel they're the best for my my family and my operation. I'm really the only one in that fifth generation that has the opportunity to farm from my ancestors. And I guess I feel a strong urge to keep that going. And it's been in my blood. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I knew it's what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, we do everything we can to make the right decisions and to have those opportunities available for our future generations. That you know of, John, are you raising a sixth generation to farm that land? I'd say the chances are pretty high. It's pretty cool to to have the kids come out and ride in the tractors and, and work cattle with us. And, you know, now they're getting old enough where they're asking questions and I'm not going to push them in that way necessarily, but I see the spark in their eye kind of starting to develop. So it's pretty fun to see that. Let's talk about off the farm. When you're not farming, John, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? I guess my big hobby right now is my kids are kind of getting active in school activities and we go to a lot of sporting events and my son likes to hunt a lot. So we're kind of getting back into that. He likes to hunt and fish and we spend a lot of time on the farm, but going to their activities and spending time with them, I guess, is the big things that we're, we're really into right now. And as you said earlier, it's been a bit of a problem getting harvest down. We happen to be talking during harvest time, and it's been hard to nail you down, quite frankly, so you don't have a lot of extra time at the moment. But talk to me about what's going on with harvest. I feel we're a little behind in harvest. Here we're sitting uh, the last few days of October, and I'm looking out my office window, and the ground is actually white this morning because we had some snow. Where we sit right now is we actually, we have about a half a day left of soybean harvest. We harvest soybeans first here in our part of the world, and then we then we work on the corn. And we, we haven't really started much corn at all on our farm. So 
looking outside and seeing the the snow is a little disheartening today but that's part of being a farmer is you never know what you're going to wake up to one day to the next and you figure out a way to make it work and you just kind of buckle down and get the work done and eventually it'll get done and you you just kind of overcome the challenges but we're very blessed for as dry as it was this summer the yields have been very very good so we're very blessed with that and the rest of it just kind of falls into place so uh, we'll just keep plugging away yeah, I wanted to hear more about the earlier part of the season. As you mentioned, it was dry. What is your assessment of the growing season? Yeah, like our planting season, we were quite dry at planting, and we had we had some issues with our plants germinating because they sat in dry dirt, and they didn't all come up right away, but we got some rains there in May and June that kind of got things going, and we had some rain on the 4th of July, and really we had no rain until August again, so it got quite hot and dry in July and we were kind of fearing a pretty short crop and things looked kind of rough but in August things kind of started raining more timely when when the crops were filling and uh, producing their seeds and we're just very thankful for the technology that's out there today with the hybrids and the efficiencies we have with those and we're pulling out a, a pretty good crop so we're very thankful for everything that's out there and all the technology we have to back us. You mentioned that you are getting good yields despite it having been a dry summer. What do you attribute that to? You mentioned uh, seed technology. Why are you getting those good yields in spite of dry weather? Yeah, the hybrids that we have today, you know, they have drought tolerance built into them, and that's something that we look at when we make the decisions for our farm. And it sounds strange, but I mentioned that it's dry, but we've been doing a lot of tiling around here. But so when we do get those big rains, our good land does not flood out. We incorporate variable rate technology on our farm. So our, our seeds are planted at different rates and our fertilizer is for the better ground and the ground that's drier. So we're able to spread our risk out by doing those different practices. A combination of all those is really what benefits us on our farm. You're involved with the South Dakota soybean checkoff as well as Hungry for Truth. What other off-the-farm or uh, ag-related activities do you have? I'm active in South Dakota. I'm a member of the South Dakota Corn Growers, and uh, there's a, a local organization in our town of Andover. It's called the James Valley Pioneer Threshing Association, and it's kind of a group of old-timers that we have a show every year, and we, we actually pull out a threshing machine, and they have steam engines and kind of the old antique farming show. So that's kind of something fun that we do on the side that's directly related to agriculture, and uh, I guess I feel it's important to me for myself and my kids to be a part of that as nobody really understands or knows how some of that stuff was done back in the turn of the century, which would be the the, the 1900s and, and stuff like that. So uh, learning those practices and showing other people how things were done 100, 120 years ago, I guess we feel is pretty important. So that's, that's kind of a fun thing that we do as well. John Horter of Andover, South Dakota is a co-founder of South Dakota Soybeans Hungry for Truth. The Soybean Pod, covering this incredible crop, those who grow it, and the many ways it's used is available wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. We're also on the air on the South Dakota Soybean Network. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Stever.